Thank you so much, Pastor Boots. And let me just say, it is a privilege to be with you here this morning. It's an honor I don't take lightly. And uh, it's exciting to uh, see a church that not only loves the youth, but is willing to invest in it. And I appreciate the youth conference you put on. Also, uh, I was encouraged to hear the noises of little children in the auditorium this morning. They say, if the babies ain't a-crying, the church is a-dying. So don't ever get uh, too annoyed by that. You should rejoice in the Lord. Those are the next uh, Christians to come up through the ranks. They're the future church. And it's just so encouraging to see a church that's willing to suffer the little children to come unto Jesus. Um, just excited to be here. I, I was a youth pastor for seven years in Arkansas, and then the Lord called me to transition to a senior pastor role, and I've been the senior pastor at Victory Baptist Church in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania for the last 10 years, and I'm just humbled that God would use me in any capacity, and excited to uh, be here. Great to see what God's doing here, and just really enjoy getting to know your pastor, and you're really blessed to have a man that loves you and loves God the way he does. Uh, this morning's message is titled, Preparing Our Families for the Exodus. Preparing Our Families for the Exodus. God told Abraham and Jacob that he was going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt even before they went down into Egypt. And isn't that neat? They had 400-year preparation time. They, had, uh, they knew ahead of time that they would be leaving. Isn't it nice to have ahead of time notice. Wouldn't you like that in the stock market? You could know when to invest and when not to, but uh, they had 400 uh, year lead time. Egypt often is used in scripture as an analogy of the world. And we also have the same foreknowledge that Israel did. God told us that he's going to bring us out of the world at the rapture. And uh, we've had a longer time to prepare than Israel did, 2,000 years. So we should be five times more ready than Israel was, amen? And uh, that's, that's what your pastor has been given to you for, to help prepare you for the exit. And uh, this morning, I'd like for us to look at the similarities of the Hebrew exodus from Egypt and our exodus from this world, and we need to avoid their mistakes and repeat their successes. Uh, one thing that, that I'm finding, you know, it's so easy to get imbalanced. I've, I've uh, come across many Christians who uh, are focused really solely on their retirement here in this world, and they, they really have uh, just kind of clouded their mind to the retirement and perfect rest that comes in heaven. And you need to have a balance there. Uh, I know that's so true. I mean, I, I know that there are some pastors, they're, they're elderly, they have not prepared for retirement, they haven't thought of, what do I do when I get elderly, how am I going to take care of myself? And so they'll stay at a church longer really than they should because of the financial aspect. <laughs> They probably should step down so the church can keep going forward because uh, it's time for them to retire, but they haven't prepared. I'm not knocking retirement. I'm planning on it myself, uh, but there needs to be a balance. And I think one of the issues that uh, happened in Egypt was some of the people decided that their retirement was going to be right there, and they didn't look for the retirement that was going to be further down the road. Look at me in Genesis chapter number 15 as we begin. We'll be using our Bibles several times this morning, so please keep them handy. Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 13. Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 13. And let's look at four verses here. Genesis 15, 13 through 16. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, 
and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. We see in this passage, first of all, the warning of affliction. We see the judgment upon those who afflicted Israel. And we see the promise of deliverance from Egypt to the promised land. Now look back to chapter 46 of Genesis. And God talks to Jacob about the deliverance of Israel as well. Genesis 46, verse number 2 and 3 and 4. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I, also, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. We see here God was going to build Israel and make it a great nation before it reached the promised land. Look back at what God tells, uh, look back at what Joseph tells the children of Israel in Genesis chapter 50. A couple more uh, chapters back there, please. Genesis 50, 24 and 25. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. One thing that went with the children of Israel through the parting of the Red Sea, it was there at the base of the Mount of God in Arabia. It traveled with them for 40 years in the wilderness and finally ended up in the Promised Land was the coffin full of Joseph's bones. God promised the Old Testament saints that he was going to take them out of Egypt into a land that he had prepared for them and that he was going to build them as a nation before the transition happened. And in the New Testament, God promised us he's going to take us out of Egypt, out of this world, into a land that he has prepared for us, New Jerusalem. And, and he's going to build his church before he carries us out. Turn with me to New Testament, John chapter number 14. John chapter 14, verse number 1, we see our promise. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also I love that promise. I love that this world's not my home. I love that we just don't die and go in the grave. There's something after this, and it's heaven for those who believe in Jesus Christ. God will one day bring us out of Egypt in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. God isn't going to leave our bones in Egypt either. Our body will go with us and be changed into a new heavenly incorruptible body according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We heard that mentioned in adult Sunday school this morning. But while we are waiting for the exit day, the rapture, our exodus to come, we will face affliction from the world. 
Egypt, just as the children of Israel were afflicted, just like our Savior Jesus Christ was afflicted. We're looking forward to the rapture, but it seems many Christians fail to remember that affliction is a part of Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about it. You're in John chapter 14. Look back one chapter to John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. No one likes to be hated, do they? He said, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You know, there was never anyone more compassionate than Jesus. There was never anyone who has loved like Jesus. No one has demonstrated mercy like Jesus. He is the epitome of grace. He is long-suffering, gentleness, personified, kindness. He was not in the world to condemn it, but to save it. And they crucified him. I think, I think sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to be as sweet as possible and nice as possible, and they won't hate me. No matter how sweetly and compassionately you share the gospel with some people, they're going to hate having God's light reveal their lost condition. Their conscience will condemn them, and they will hate you for it, just like they hated Christ. He knew that he was going to face persecution. Hey, but that didn't stop him, and you shouldn't let it stop you either. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 2 Timothy 2, 3, we're commanded, Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we have not had to face much persecution in America yet for our faith, but the closer the Lord's return draws nigh, that is going to change. We don't like to think about it, but it's a reality if you believe the Bible. They weren't keeping the Lord's sayings in John chapter 15 to obey them. The Pharisees were keeping the Lord's sayings to use against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and with three, within three days I will build another made without hands. Mark 14, 58. They took Christ's words out of context. Let me say they'll take your words out of context. Egypt will do the same to those who try to follow Christ as it did to Christ. They will use pastor's sermons against them out of context. The servant is not better than his Lord. And if you serve the Lord with any kind of intensity, be prepared for persecution in some form or fashion. If you are not being persecuted at all, you're not sharing Christ very much. May I point out that your prayers for Brother Ingalls and his family need to increase as they go back to India to serve the Lord and share the gospel there? The 
culture of India is different than the culture of America. The freedoms of India are different than the freedoms of America. And Satan is not going to be very pleased to see someone over there who cares for the lost souls of men and who has the antidote for that lost condition, salvation through Jesus Christ. God and them together make a majority. But that does not mean that Satan isn't going to fight tooth and nail to try to make them hide the light of Christ under a bushel in fear. Second Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Brother Ingalls is going to the other side of the world to share the gospel. What's stopping us from going to the other side of the street and witnessing to our neighbor? So God brings Israel out of Egypt and they're headed to the promised land. They stop at the Mount of God for discipleship. God gives to Moses what will help the people. But when Moses goes down the mountain to deliver the message, he comes upon a scene that is truly shocking. The people came out in the Exodus. They exited, they left Egypt, but come to find out they had brought Egypt with them. Right now the church is in the discipleship part of our journey to the promised land. The rapture has not yet happened. The trumpet has not yet sounded. Your job is to get ready for it. Your Moses that God has given to you is trying to help you by giving you the words that God gives to him to help prepare you for when that trumpet sounds. Just like everyone saw God move in the lives of Israel through miracles, the Red Sea crossing, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, how he made a way for the assembly, he called out in the wilderness, they're going to watch every move in our lives and your life here at Mount Victory Baptist Church. They're going to look at your commitment to follow him through the midst of adversity and how he makes a way for this called out assembly to worship him and to continue to have a place to worship him. Let me say I'm on the edge of my seat in anticipation, waiting to see what God's going to do and how he's going to open the door for your situation. I know this property has been sold. You're looking for a new property. We're asking God to open the doors. And God reminded Moses in Numbers eleven twenty three, and the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand wax short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. God's power hasn't gotten less. I can't wait to see. It's an encouragement to see a church stepping out on faith and saying, We're, wait, we're just waiting and ready, Lord, whatever you have for us. I'm excited. We're going to be praying for you. God's going to do something. God's going to move in his timing. Keep patiently waiting for him. Don't make the mistake we see Israel make because they got tired of waiting for God to move. I don't, know where, I don't know where the preacher is. Man, he's been gone for 40 days up on that mountain. But it's about time to do something, isn't it? Where, where's, where's God? I haven't heard from him in a while. They're waiting at the base of the mountain. They, sh they should have known already, witnessing God's mighty power in their lives, and, uh, that he still had everything in control. God tells Moses, go down, because the people have dropped their standards. You know, and I'm, af I'm afraid that they're a part of the body of Christ across the world, across the country. I would say specifically in America, because America is one of the few places in the world we're not persecuted for our faith. That we've kind of let down our guard and kind of said, well, it's just been kind of a long time since the Lord's come 
come back off the mountaintop to get us. We kind of relaxed our stance. We're kind of coasting a little bit. We know he's coming back, but it's been, it's been 2,000 years, folks. Jesus is coming soon. We sing that song, we think maybe it's kind of, our mind just kind of pushes it off a little bit if we're not careful. These folks dropped their standards in Exodus 32, 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing. Do I hear? Have you, have you ever heard the, the music that sounds like war? Took my son, Wesley. He was, how old was Wesley? Three? About three years old. Went to a roller skating rink. Was going to let him skate. And I mean, the music was loud and and, ba- and, and, and I'm looking at, and it was a little kid's, Chris, uh, a little kid's birthday party that we've been invited to. And there's just a bunch of little kids out there. And they said they were playing Disney you know, the new Disney music, uh, like, station. And I'm listening to these words, and, and the music is, you know, you can feel the bass in your chest and just loud, and, and my son started to cry because he was afraid of the music. Look, if you, if you haven't heard that music, just stop at a stoplight in downtown Richmond. You won't have to wait long till someone comes up playing. The same noise that Joshua heard, it sounded like war. Either the heavy metal screaming, the R&B whining, or the incoherent rapping. You know, there's no room in the life of a Christian for Egypt's music. That music still produces the same results now as it did then, the dancing in verse 19, the nakedness in verse 25. Let me just say, any music that you can play in reverse and get your dog back, your house back, your wife back, and your purity back, i.e. country music, that's detrimental to your Christian walk as the rest of Egypt's music is just a little bit more subtle. Please don't try the, well, I listen to it so I can sing romantic music to my wife to strengthen our marriage. That was my excuse in high school, too. I said, this is going to help me love my wife. Small problem. First of all, it ignites, the lust it ignites inside of you is the opposite of love. And second, the grieving of the Holy Spirit in your life through that music removes the number one helper you have who can teach you what true love looks like. Be careful kind of music you're listening to. Ask yourself the que- this question, if the rapture happens now and I go up listening to this music, will the Lord look at me and say, well done? If he won't, then that's a good litmus test. The other mistake we see Israel make, and this isn't everybody, but a lot of the adults were always looking for something to complain about. And I was looking at Exodus. We, we, we went through Genesis in our church. We're looking at Exodus. I was teaching through Exodus in our adult Sunday school class. And it just kind of hit me. You know, this is kind of a snapshot of the New Testament and the church. We, we know we're going to get exited out too. We have time to prepare too. But whether or not the next generation is prepared is whether or not we pass it on and take it seriously to prepare them. Those people that were dancing around that golden calf at the base of the mountain of God, do you think that their parents prepared them properly to exit Egypt? Do you think that they took seriously getting prepared 
properly to exit Egypt. You know, what's sad is that some of the adults were actually wishing they could go back into Egypt, back into the world, because they did not let go of their desire for the pleasures of their past. And what we need is the church and Christians to be like Aaron and her and hold up the hands of God's man for you. Maybe you don't know this or not, but uh, the church of God is under attack. Anyone this week noticed that Satan was trying to push your buttons? Anyone feel the attacks of Satan and temptation this week? You know, and what, you know what the devil's trying to do too is to discourage the man of God for this church because if he can take out uh, Pastor Boots and his family, the sheep will be scattered. And I don't think sheep are dumb. God doesn't give you a shepherd because sheep are dumb. God, God doesn't think his children are dumb. You're not. But he does compare the church to sheep because Satan can scatter them through deceit, wolves. You need that man right there. You need to pray for that man. And that woman, let me say you need to pray for his wife right there. If Satan can discourage his wife, Satan can discourage him. If Satan can discourage my encourager, look, be careful what you say to that lady. Amen? Be careful how you treat their kids. Treat them like any other kids that are in the church. Don't try and hold the pastor's kids up here. They're sinners saved by grace just like every other kid. I asked the people in my church, I said, please don't try to call my kids out for something that you wouldn't call another child out for. And don't say, hey, you shouldn't do that because you're the pastor's kid. Just say, hey, you shouldn't do that because children of God shouldn't do that. Christians shouldn't do that. Pray for this man. As your church moves forward, he's going to need more prayer. He, as he prays for you. It's a team effort. We need some more Aaron and hers, though. As we get ready to leave in the rapture, we need some more Aaron and hers lifting up the man of God's hands in prayer. And pastor, what do you need? How can I help? This church needs more Joshuas who desire to be closer to God, so much so that when Moses left the tabernacle, Joshua still was inside waiting for God to speak to him. We, we need more Caleb's who state, I want that mountain and I shall not be moved. Mount Victory, that's a good, good name for a church. I want that mountain and I shall not be moved. We need more Christians who desire the sincere milk of the word, the bread of life, the meat of scriptures with a passion and a zeal and less, less Christians who are trying to figure out how they can feed the lust of the flesh and walk in the spirit at the same time. Double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. God needs sold-out, completely yielded vessels whom he can pour water on. We don't want to be one of the ten spies that says, I'm sorry, we can't gain the victory, it's just too hard. I mean, the land's too expensive. I think we need some Joshua's and Caleb's that say, yeah, there's giants. Yeah, there's some iron chariots. But you should see the blessings. And this is what God has for us. God needs some sold out Christians who are ready to go. Would it not be good if in 10 seconds the trumpet would sound and God found you here this morning in church? Do, 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 do. And we're done preparing. 
But he said, I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. You know, why were these people dancing to the, the world's music and worshiping a false idol? These are God's people. Why were these adults desiring the pleasures of the world rather than the things of God? Uh, you know, there's only two options. There's either their parents failed to prepare them to leave Egypt, or two, these people fa failed to heed their parents' preparation. Let me say, young person, there comes a point in time in your life you cannot blame mommy and daddy for your decisions. When you step out from under their umbrella of leadership and you're an adult, you can't say, well, I'm the way I am because the way that my mom treated me when I was five, she did not give me regular milk in my cereal. She gave me almond milk. <laughs> and I just can't handle that. That's why I am the way. No. Look, as an adult, you step out. You get to decide whether you love others. You get to decide whether you're joyful. You get to decide whether you're going to be kind. And you can't say, well, I'm just mean because of how I was treated back there. Actually, you should say, I'm going to be kind because of how I was treated back there. At some point in time, young person, you will have to stand before God uh, and answer to him for your actions. You can't blame mommy and daddy all your life. Man, well, the preacher, he was just mean to me that one Sunday. He didn't shake my hand. I've had church members leave our church because we forgot to sing happy birthday to them. We had church members leave our church because we moved the coffee table from one place in the church to a different place. You know what? They weren't ready to leave Egypt. I just heard from an evangelist, a church that had a huge church split because a lady brought some pies to the church fellowship and they cut it in six slices and she wanted it cut in eight. I think maybe the focus is off a little. I'm just glad to have a piece of pie. Can I smell the pie? If you're not careful, you'll, you'll, let, you'll let Satan discourage you or upset you from something somebody did or didn't do at Mountain Victory, and you're, you're looking for a way to leave, not for a reason to stay. And sadly, there's people in this room that won't be here in five years. Because you're not really preparing to leave Egypt. You're just trying to appease your conscience a little bit by coming to church every once in a while so you can go back and live in Egypt. But when the trumpet sounds, you stand before God. As the song says, I wish I had given you more. And I'm not trying to browbeat. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to, I don't know you. From my, from my understanding, 100% of you are sold-out Christians. But I know the percentage, and I know that there's probably at least one in here who's struggling right now with deciding whether you're going to stick it out or whether you're going to quit. Satan's tempting you with things in the world, and, and you're wishy-washy right now, and your Bible reading is weak, and you're not thinking about the rapture, you're thinking about something else. Start thinking about heaven. Are you ready? I'm ready. I know, I know you wish to be. But look, if our children are going to be ready, and I'll close, come to a close here. If our children are going to be ready, parents, we have to remain ready. And one reason why our standards get let down for our children is because 
we want to enjoy doing what we're doing, and if we raise the standard for our kids, we place ourselves in a position of condemnation by them, so we kind of let things go a little bit. And let me just say it gets harder as your teenagers get older and they have more mental arguing skills, and why can't we do it that way, mommy and daddy? It comes easier and easier to kind of let go of that standard, and what you're really doing, though, when you stop to think about it, is, is you're, you're hindering them from the exit. You're, you've stopped preparing them for the rapture, and you're, start, you're starting to help them enjoy Egypt. Now, obviously, God gave us creation to enjoy. There's a certain amount of the world we get to enjoy. But don't get trapped in it. Don't get trapped in it. Look, church, you're doing a mighty work here. God is going to do a mighty work through you if you don't quit. If you don't let discouragement and, and uh, the devil's deceit and blindness divide you and blind you. Right now, the devil's trying to find out some way to divide the families in this church. He's looking for chinks in the armor. And so you've got to shore up and you've got to, as we heard in Sunday school, not get upset about the brothers in Christ, about the petty things. Take, take wrong rather than divide the church. Heavenly Father, you could come today, this morning, and Lord, if you do, I'm so thankful for everyone that's here right now. Lord, we've been waiting for 2,000 years now as the church, as you build it and grow it. And honestly, Lord, I believe the only thing that hinders you, your return is you are waiting for the very last person who will accept you to accept you and then the trumpet will sound. Lord, that person will not uh, accept you if we don't go out and tell them. God, I pray you please help us to, to keep our eyes focused on heaven, keep our eyes focused on our exit, and that we need to be preparing our hearts and minds because you could come any day. We need to be preparing our young people because you could come any day. Help us, Lord, to focus on heaven and set our affections on things above, Heavenly Father, not let the world and Egypt blind us and deceive us and bind us, Lord, and hinder our work for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Brother Bruce. Amen. If you would stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As he was preaching, boy, a lot of thoughts came to my mind. And we, we focus so much on, on being holy and living for Jesus Christ. And honestly, if that was our focus, if our focus was just 100% on being holy, then we wouldn't have to worry about division. We wouldn't have to worry about getting upset. We wouldn't have to worry about going off into the world. We wouldn't have to be worried about all these other things. If holiness is our goal, then that's we're just trying to be as close to Christ as we possibly can be. And when you see Christ for who he really is, then everything else that the devil has to offer takes a back seat by far. It's just an object in the, in the rear view mirror, and it doesn't have any attraction to us whatsoever. The problem is we don't see God for who he really is for the most part. We're so attracted by the things in the world because we don't see God for who he is. And we don't see holiness for what it is. And we don't have that desire to live for him because we've never actually lived for him to the point where we see how good it is to surrender everything to him and live for him. When you surrender everything to God and you see the blessings that come from being an obedient Christian, you'll never want to go back. You'll never want to go back to the world. The reason we have Christians that are so attracted to and attached to the world is because they've never had 
that fellowship with Christ. Let this be the day that you decide, you know what? I'll try it out. Let me see what true fellowship with Jesus Christ looks like. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you got that taken care of, you don't have to worry about your eternal destiny. But if heaven is your home, then why are you living like the earth is? Why are you living like the world is your home? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And if I know that this is just a temporary stop, why am I going to put down stakes and, and live like this is where I'm going to be forever? I want to live with eternity in view. And when you live with eternity in view, it changes your perspective on everything. This world doesn't offer anything for us. Living for Christ offers everything for us. Boy, I'd love for you to taste it. I'd love for you to taste it. Once you get to the top of the mountain, you don't ever want to go back down. Are you ready to leave this world? Are you ready for the exit? You ready for the exodus? God's given you time to do it. In fact, this time right now is a time where you can say, you know what? I need to start preparing for it. I need to start getting ready for it. I don't know when Christ is going to come back. It could be this afternoon. It could be 100 years from now. It could be after all of us are gone. But I know this. He could come back today. And I'm ready. I want him to come. But I certainly want him to come in a time when I'm prepared. I certainly want him to come in a time when my relationship with him is right. I want him to come in a time when I don't have anything that I've left on the table. One of these days, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to judge us for the things that we've done and all those other things. He's going to reward us for the good things that we've done. But I think God's going to let every one of us take a glimpse at what he really wanted to do with us had we been completely surrendered to him. And I think so many of us are going to be so saddened and so disappointed and so amazed at what God really wanted to do with us and what God really wants to do with this church if we would just completely surrender to him. Won't you do it this morning? Won't you do it this morning? Ah, the things that God wants to do with us, if we would just be willing to surrender to him. If God spoke to your heart in the message this morning, won't you come? As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You come.